This podcast is recorded on stolen and unceded Aboriginal land. We acknowledge the First Nations and elders of this country and we join their calls for justice. Hey friends, just a heads up that this episode contains discussion about suicide and other mental health stuff. So if that is something that might not be safe for you to listen to, maybe just skip this one and we will see you next episode. Love you. Westpac is committed to reducing emissions, particularly related to fossil fuels. <laughs> you know what that we just did we just did praxis there you go <laughs> i'm an activist it was really good i've, I've tried to find out this is a, this is a protest that happened at the westpac annual general meeting the agm was temporarily temporarily disrupted by a laughing protest when mcfarland and king were outlining westpac's initiatives on climate change and it is good. They're like, we're thinking about climate change, especially when it comes to funding fossil fuels. And then some people started laughing. Now, I haven't been able to find out what group was involved, whether people infiltrated the AGM or whether they said, let's all laugh at that at that particular point or whether it really was people who give a shit about the planet spontaneously bursting out to laughter. I don't know. Was it market forces? Like, was it a market forces thing? Well, they tweeted it out. That's just where I saw it. I guess that would make sense. And they probably do have activist shareholders going along to these things to make a mm. point. But um. Get fucking it's it's I mean, shit. is there anything more like insulting than just laughing at someone and just having a group of people? Like in any situation, this is great. It's really it is a genius move because like if they were booing or something, that would be hostile. It's, They'd be immediately bit, yeah. removed. But in the moment, it's just like you can't quite get angry at people, and they could be they could be laughing at something else, I guess. But then as it just goes on and on and on, it becomes very clear that they're they're laughing at how ridiculous. You sound, and I don't know, the classic thing is people hate looking ridiculous more than anything else. They don't want to be embarrassed or, mm. or pwned in that respect by people at. laughing at them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no one will ever laugh at us. Talk about the Greens, that funny, that bunch of idiots. They are snake oil salesmen. Tell you what, I will never, ever do a deal with the Greens because we're just not on the same page. We're not even on the same planet as them. Frankly, I've always found the Greens to be a real serious danger to Australia. Serious danger to Australia. Don't laugh at us unless you're laughing with us. This is Serious Danger, a podcast about green politics in Australia. I'm Emerald Moon. That is Tom Ballard. Hello. This is not an official <laughs> Greens Party podcast. <laughs> oh. It's made possible with the help of the Green Institute and produced by Michael Griffin. And this week... We are talking about a couple of things that happened in in the past week. So the government's plan about capping energy prices, the move to cut mental health funding and what the Greens have to say about it. And then we are joined by welfare advocate and anti-poverty activist Thomas Students, a.k.a. Maximum Cuddles on Twitter, to chat about the latest on the Robert at Royal Commission. Thank you to Vlad, Jane, George, Maria, Gemma, Julie, Ben and Andrew for joining the Serious Danger Patreon family. Patreon.com forward slash Serious Danger AU. Any little money you can chip in, we say we ask for like three bucks a month as a basic minimum to help us cover the costs, pay the griff, cover our costs of doing the show, and you get bonus content. Uh, remember, we released the live episode that we recorded at the Greens National Conference in Mianjin, Brisbane, with Michael Berkman and his adorable daughter, <laughs> and us reading out a hilarious Andrew Bolt think piece. It funny. was great fun. That has been released as a bonus Patreon content. 
Um, so if you're a if you become a patron now, you'll be able to listen to all the old stuff and you'll be able to check that out. So much cool stuff. So much cool stuff. Speaking so of cool much. stuff, Victorian uh, election results were finalised this week. So quick shout out to the Vic Greens. I will not say the word, but we did end up doubling <laughs> our representation. So Ave Puglielli, did I say that right? I believe so. Ave, Ave I believe is how you pronounce her name. Ave yes. Puglielli, who yes. is... A 27-year-old renter has been elected Dr. Sarah Mansfield. Um, they'll be joining Samantha Ratnam and Catherine Copsey in the upper house. Unfortunately, One Nation also will be in there, boo. But legalised cannabis, got, what, is it two? Two legalised cannabis? with two, yes, yeah. but it's it's sort of like like the idea of legalising cannabis is a real chance. You've got legalised cannabis, you've got the Greens who support it, animal justice supports it, and... Liberal Democrats, like the you know, kind of yeah, crazy true. libertarian who are cooked on so many different things, but do have a pro legalization um, position. So that kind of uh, you know massive cross bench and level of support in the upper house could mean good things. I think it would be pretty wild if Victoria was the first state to to legalize. That would be pretty fucking yeah, sick. That would be epic source. Um, <laughs> 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 That's a straight edge person talking about legalizing drugs mm-hmm. there. Awesome. Awesome balls. <laughs> I always assumed it was some kind of natural phenomenon. Some sort of weather or something. Hello, what about the lamps and the lights and the plug and blanket? Uh magic of some kind, like a spell or and loads of people agree. It's time your brains all learn about electricity. Alright. Who who here uses electricity? Hands up. Me. Me. Who would like their bills to be lower? Me. Not me. I love I love Origin. I love sending them as much money as possible. Oh, okay. Well, you will not like what happened this week then because the federal parliament passed a bill on, I believe, Thursday to cap coal and gas prices. That was after the crossbench agreed to support the government's bill. Uh, there was a bit of negotiating going on throughout the week and Parliament's actually like emergency recalled for this. So they, Whoa. we thought Parliament was over and then they were like, uh-uh, we're not done yet. And they came back for a special, special day of sitting to do this. So the plan itself, as passed, will cap wholesale gas prices at $12 per gigajoule for one year. People have pointed out that is, yes, a cap is good, but that's actually still quite a bit higher than what it was pre-Ukraine invasion. Um, It was $9.20 then. And as people point out, like production costs haven't actually really increased, so there's no reason that gas companies should still be able to uh, charge more for that. But anyway, they still will be able to apparently. It also will cap coal prices, but... So the, the bill itself, yeah, allows for state and territory governments to cap coal prices. Um, I don't know if it's actually in the bill, but that's what the plan will do. And right. they'll cap them at $125 per tonne. And this is the somewhat contentious bit is that probably those state and territory governments will include compensation for companies whose operating costs exceed that price limit. So handouts for fossil fuel corporations. Mm. Which is what the Greens were pretty strongly against. And you were a little bit confused about this, right, Tom? Because you were like, hang on, I thought that we this bill was like giving handouts to fossil fuel corporations, which we were like, absolutely not. But then we went ahead and backed in the bill. But it's not actually in the bill, that compensation. Right. Yeah. So, But that compensation could still come from state and territory governments? It could. And so basically what, you know, what the Greens are saying is, well, the legislation that we have just passed doesn't include that because we won't support it. And Mm -hmm. at a state and territory government, if uh, government level, 
if they try and do that, we will use whatever numbers we have in, in those parliaments to, to oppose it. So we will oppose it wherever it comes up. I don't really know yet if like more could have been done at the federal level to stop that happening because it yeah. sounds like it was just, it was like a national cabinet agreement and it's up to the states what they do with that. So I guess I, I mean, I don't know if it'll even come through parliament. I wonder if our, our state MPs will be dealing with that, but that's kind yeah. of what, what happened there. And then the other part of the package is this bill assistance for people uh, on income support and small businesses, which will be paid a combination from the Commonwealth and state and territory governments. And I was unclear because at first I read $3 billion on this and then I saw $1.5 So maybe it's a 50-50 split. Right. Uh, that's my, my best guess. So there was a fair bit, like, I think we were looking pretty pretty powerful. We were, we were doing our balance of power stuff early in the week. There was coverage of the Greens being like, we're going to fuck this up for you if you mm-hmm. keep being shit. And then they ended up passing it. The Greens were able to negotiate in exchange for their support of the bill was effectively financial support for people to get off um, to get off coal and gas in their household. So to switch to to more energy efficient appliances, more clean energy appliances. So for low income households, renters, people in apartments, and public housing in particular, it'll be targeted towards them. This will be something that comes with the government's 2023 to 24 budget. So we actually don't know how much money this is yet, what form exactly it'll take. It's effectively a commitment from the government to consider to, to put this in their budget and to consult with the Greens on what form it takes. And, and it could be, yeah, uh, compensation or, or reimbursements for updating your space heating, your water heating, your cooking and, and other household appliances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apart from that, we don't really know much about what it is. Do you reckon it's, I mean, do you, do you think we got everything we could have? Well, again, again, I'm just relieved that, yes, there wasn't a capitulation on that particular you know, pretty massive point of principle, which is, you know, we oppose any public money going towards fossil yeah. fuel companies and these same motherfuckers who have been gouging us uh, from these as a result of the, the war in Ukraine. Like that's where mm. all these super profits are coming from and the Greens are calling for a windfall tax on that stuff, which would make total sense. But, yes, as long as we weren't giving out public money uh, to those fossil fuel companies because there's price cap in this bill, I think that's pretty good. And then all this transition stuff and financial support to to move off gas is is good news. That was pretty big in Victoria as well. The Greens were well, calling is, for that. It's, and it's then and there was like a lot of pushback. And yeah. if the yes, the federal Labor government is is slightly more amenable to taking on the interests of the gas lobby and uh and pushing people off that fossil fuel, then I think that's a good news story. Yeah. Right. Because even though like so Queensland has the Queensland government, Labor government has in recent years talked a, a big game about like opening up gas exploration. We certainly have like a pretty big gas industry here and and growing and Queensland Labor absolutely loves mm. gas companies like Santos that donate lots of money to them. We often joke yep. that they're a wholly owned subsidiary of Santos. But we don't really gas in households isn't so much a thing here. I, I remember that's why I, I think it's it's sometimes a bit weird for me when I see the federal greens talking a lot about getting households off gas. I'm like, what do you what do you mean? Like who uses gas? It's not really a thing in Queensland. Um, but I understand that's a big thing in in Victoria. 
And well, yeah, well, this apartment, I mean, this is the one that I bought with my brother off the plan, mm. brand new building, um, all gas cookers. Yeah. Wow, and I've, and I've yeah. thought about like, man, I should really crack on. And maybe I live in an apartment, so I might get some financial well, support yeah. courtesy of the Greens. Thank you to, to uh, the make Greens. That transition. There you go. Well, the Greens say they reckon that households could save up to $1,900 per year by switching from gas appliances alone and up to 3450 per year by fully electrifying. It's a lot of wow. money. Um, That's good. So they're sort of saying, like they're they're saying that yeah, there's going to be less support for gas appliances. Fewer people are going to be wanting gas. Everyone's going to be switching to electric, and that's their way of sticking it to gas companies. I think Adam Bent was quoted in the media saying something like, "It's a bad day to be a greedy gas corporation," which I think was an interesting. Like clearly, that is a, a bit of a compensation for the fact that we apparently haven't been able to stop potential handouts to coal and gas corporations through compensation for these price caps yeah. and we haven't been well, able even to that get- the caps themselves are pretty generous considering well, that's right. how much price yeah. gouging there was and you know wh- where prices were before the ukraine conflict yeah and yeah it's it's our way like we're like well we're still gonna make things fucking hard for you but yeah i i agree like i was a little bit confused as well because the coverage seemed so much to emphasize the greens opposition to these public handouts to coal and gas corporations. But then when I read back, it was actually pretty clear from the Greens communications that what they were really pushing for is for the government to adopt the plan that we release weeks, maybe months ago about Mm. freezing power bills for two years and funding it with a windfall tax on coal and gas. So I think maybe part of that is the difference between putting a cap on wholesale energy prices as opposed to actually just freezing bills. It's for a longer period. Obviously, it's much more significant you know, it would it would cut bills by a lot more, and mm. it requires going after those massive, massive profits of coal and gas. You know, I think is it is it gas alone or or, or coal and gas together? Forty, I think no, gas forty billion dollars in windfall profits since <sighs> since the Ukraine invasion. So and they're still not fucking happy. They're still gas lobbying, yeah. still mounting a massive and campaign like, and crying wah. poor. And how dare yeah. you intervene in the market? These fucking cunts. Which is absolutely fucked. Like. It is so wild that they can still get away with being like, well, no, you just need to approve more of our projects because they fucking are greedy and people will have a go at, like people will be like, oh, the Greens calling gas companies greedy. It's just so, it's a motive language, doesn't help anyone. It's like there are things beyond their control, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, no, they really are. They're they're really fucking greedy. (laughs) And so what, yeah, the Greens negotiated this package for households to electrify, to get off gas. And they say that when the government is finalising the income, the bills relief package, which will apparently be finalised early next year. So it must have just been the price cap component um, for, for gas that, that was passed this week, that that as the government is doing that, they will continue pushing for their plan, for, for bills to be frozen for two years right. and that to be funded with this windfall tax on, on coal and gas companies. I'm going to say more broadly politically too, like this idea that Labor Party is like, Making these say you got to vote for this bill because it means you're voting for lower energy prices. Mm. What they mean is that energy prices won't go won't up, go as, up much as much as they would still, otherwise. Yeah. And I'm just like, that's still there's already a cost of living crisis now. People always think, already think that power prices are too much. I mm. I wonder how much salience or how much benefit of the doubt voters will give people when it's like, yeah. oh, my price went up, my my power bill is still going up. It's like, oh, but it would have gone up. Yeah, it's more if it weren't for us. It's like no, exactly. I think that's the thing. It's like yeah. While as we we go back to the fact that these companies' production costs have not increased, it's purely <laughs> price gouging. Like it's right. purely them ripping us the fuck off that our our bills will go up. There is absolutely no reason that we shouldn't be taxing them and using that to fund uh, an actual bills freeze. So yes. yeah. 
But, you know, bit of a relief for households. We'll have to see what that looks like in the budget next year and see what's in it for you personally, Tom. (laughs) Yes, good. My plan is working, yes. Thanks for inviting us to your COVID is over party. Great idea. COVID is finally over. It's time to have fun again. It's time to live again. Yes, it's nice that things are finally getting back to normal. Mm -hmm. Where's Becky? She said she was coming. She's got COVID. Spencer? He's got COVID too. Brian? COVID. Teresa? Her kid's got COVID. Max? His wife's got COVID. Trish. Dog has COVID. Well, some other news. COVID cases, COVID deaths and admissions are continuing to rise. But this week, the Albanese government announced a bunch of sweeping and quite shitty changes in regards to our approach to COVID in their never-ending mission to be on your side and deliver a better (laughs) future for everybody. Uh, First of all, on COVID testing, from January 1, you're going to need a medical referral to get a free PCR test from any non-government clinic. Okay, so it's not not quite as bad as I thought. You know, state and territory governments are still running some um, clinics to get PCR tests and they're still free. So that's good. But outside of that, in the private sector, which I guess does cover a lot of people. Uh, you cannot get a free PCR test without a medical referral. Are there still state government clinics? Because when I looked for a PCR clinic recently, like yeah. I couldn't find any where it would free. And actually I already couldn't really find any that said that you could go without uh, a GP referral. <laughs> so referral. I'm okay, like, great. it's already fucked. I already was like, oh, it's pretty much impossible <laughs> for me to get a, a free PCR. Cool. Okay. Well, it's bad now. It will soon be, be worse. Testing is no longer about surveillance. It's going to be targeted and you'll get the antivirals if you get a positive PCR or a rat test. So I assume just more people, way more people will be going on to rats, I suppose. Um, there will be prioritization for high-risk people like older Australians, First Nations people and people living with a disability. But the new management plan is all about moving away from COVID exceptionalism. And in 2023, Australia is going to transition to managing COVID-19 in a similar way to other respiratory viruses. Now, you are a recent survivor of this particular virus, Emerald. What do you what's your take on this? Is it just like the flu now? Well, I haven't survived yet. I'm actually still testing positive. Like Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, um and I assume that it's COVID is like fucking with like I sort of recovered and thought I was fine, but there's still stuff going on with my lungs and my chest and uh, I can't taste. So <laughs> Jesus awesome. Christ. It really, I mean, again, with all the new variants, it doesn't really seem like we're back to any kind of new normal now. There's 15,000 COVID cases a day. That's what we're averaging in the country at the moment. There's been more than 13,000 COVID-related deaths this year. That's sort of from, I think, from January 1 till about October. So the numbers would be even higher than that. That's from the ABS. And even when announcing this plan, the Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly was saying that the threat of COVID was likely to be part of life for some time to come. The likely emergence of new variants, including those able to partially evade immune responses, mean the Australian community can expect to experience new waves on a regular basis for at least the next two years. I did think I I thought I read, though, that they were saying that the way that the variants would evolve, like the virus can't continue mutating without producing less effective variants. So Right. Okay, with every new variant it's less of it's less Yeah. Um, what, yeah. less intense, I guess. Okay. Yeah, well, that's and, good and less contagious apparently, like which is is strange because I thought that the variants to date seem to be more and more infectious and easily contracted, but that was sort of what I what I was reading. I mean, I I'm in two minds about this like I I understand yeah, like the the argument towards transitioning this to uh, a recognized disease that we deal with, like as we deal with other diseases. But I will say, yeah, like I don't know that our medical system deals with other things super well. <laughs> how do those, do you know how those numbers and deaths compare to things like flu, for example, like up to how they compare to other respiratory diseases? 
I don't know off the top of my head. I'm sorry, no. Mm. Um, but also, you know, my understanding is that, the, you know, COVID's the level of contagion with COVID was way more contagious than other diseases and yeah. we still don't know enough about it and we're still no, dealing absolutely. and trying to get Especially ahead around the, COVID, you know, the implication like, of long COVID. Yeah. yeah. And, and people are still fucked with in terms of sick leave. You've got to use up your own sick yeah. leave or you won't have enough sick leave or you're expected to come in with COVID. I've heard of people yeah. being told, I mean, I know you've got COVID, but probably still come into work. Hey, it's just yeah. like, Jesus Christ. That's my responsibility, Tom. Let me tell you something. Nowadays, everybody's got to go to shrinks and counselors and go on Sally, Jesse, Raphael and talk about their problems. Whatever happened to Gary Cooper, the strong, silent type? That was an American. He wasn't in touch with his feelings. He just did what he had to do. So, so what they didn't know was once they got Gary Cooper in touch with his feelings, that they wouldn't be able to shut him up. And if any of that information makes you feel sad or anxious or depressed in any way, then tough titty. Harden the fuck up, okay? <laughs> Health Minister Mark Butler announced the subsidised visits to psychologists will be halved from next year. The Morrison government announced the Better Access Initiative following the initial lockdowns in 2020 that allowed people to claim Medicare rebates for an additional 10 psychology appointments on top of the 10 already available under the government scheme. Uh, that extra funding runs out at the end of this year. The, the Liberals always said that was going to run out at the end of this year and Labor's saying we're not redoing that funding, we're yeah. not moving on. What did you think when you heard about this this little uh, this sweet move, Emerald? To be honest, like I'm I'm not surprised about the outcry about this. I think it is an absolutely fucked and cooked move, and obviously we should have as many sessions as we need, and Medicare yes. should cover mental health care and dental care, and it should all be free. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I was like, oh, we knew this, didn't we? Like I, I was sort of like, yeah, it'll expire, and I didn't. I didn't think that the government was going to renew it. And I don't know if I missed some sort of indication that the government would renew the additional 10 sessions, but I was I was sort of like, are we surprised? Well, well, I mean, if you think that Labor are good, then yes. <laughs> They're supposed to be the good ones. I think there's no justification for this. I mean, there was already a mental health crisis before the pandemic. You had two, you got two in five Australians who are going to experience a mental disorder, disorder at some point in their life. I think one in five will experience that for more than a year at least. Yeah. Uh, there are more than 3,000 suicides in Australia last year. The, the whole system's been cooked for a very long time. There's a Royal Commission into Mental Health Services in, in Victoria recently too. It's all been dog shit. So the introduction of the extra sessions was a welcome thing during a particularly difficult time. But the idea of winding back anyone's access to mental health care in this country is fucking wild and gross. And I guess you would have hoped that the Labor government that cares about us, that loves Medicare that was that ran on protecting mm. and strengthening Medicare mm -hmm. might not just do the thing that the Liberals were going to do. I mean, I, I really hate this defence. Uh, Gillard used it too for cutting the parents' next payment. They were like, oh, that was just how it was going to do. I just followed through on a Howard government decision. It's like, yeah. but we elected you. Why don't, why don't not do the bad things that they well, were going to do? Well, the Liberals are asking the same questions, Tom. They're doing very good at amounting <laughs> an attack angle on this. Just before we get to the, that, like we should say the justification coming from the health minister is this independent evaluation by the University of Melbourne, uh, which the government commissioned, which he says justifies this decision, saying that it's not serving everybody. But lots of people have pointed it's out the same everybody. report says the evidence from the evaluation suggests that the additional 10 sessions should continue to be made available and should mm -hmm. be targeted towards those with more complex mental health needs. 
So okay. he's saying, I mean, oh, we're doing it because of this report. And everyone's saying, but the report says don't get rid of the 10 sessions. Right, because the report is saying that it's already hard enough to find a psychologist because de- demand is outstripping capacity in the sector. Is that right? Like, which is, it's, which is true. It's very hard to get in to therapy. Yes. This is one that I struggle with. I'm like, yeah, what is the solution there? Because, yeah, if there aren't enough psychologists to actually provide this, like I do agree in principle, mental health care should be free and we should have access to as many sessions as we want. Why are there not enough therapists to actually make that happen? That's pretty wild. The, yeah, the, the saw one stat, the Australian Psychological Society saying Australia is meeting 35% of its psychology workforce target. Okay, so right. yes. And and look, I accessed a mental health plan last year in the second lockdown in Melbourne. I was feeling really, really bad, needed to talk to someone and finally got in with this great guy who was very, extremely helpful and I'm very grateful for that. I know it's yeah, very difficult. This report didn't say get rid of the 10 sessions. It said have a review at the end of the 10 to just make sure to see where people are at and make sure that, you know, mm. the next 10 sessions um, are required. That might be careful. But I, It's very hard. There is a long waiting time. I appreciate that. But, yeah. but by getting rid of these sessions, you are just discouraging people who need that help or basically shunting them out of the system because they're not going to be able to afford to keep going. Once that rebate ends, it's really fucking expensive. Yeah, and surely, like, I, I would have to go and check the Greens policies again, but I know that we did. Like, there are other ways that you can expand. Like, I think even in terms of allowing access for trainee psychologists and, and counsellors and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there are other ways that we can kind of grow that that workforce um, so that everyone can have access. I will say, yeah, even the thing of, to me, I get really concerned about means-tested and, and, you know, quote-unquote targeted uh, supported mental health care access because, then people have an experience where they have to justify why their bad, their mental health is bad enough to continue seeing a therapist. And I sort of think it's, yeah, it's a thing we, which we've spoken about on the show before when we had Jordan Still John on, mm. where we were like, if someone is asking for access to continued therapy sessions, they probably need it. Like people don't do it for fun and no. they don't need to be then subjected to this thing where someone's like, well, you, you seem kind of, you seem right. You know, this like, is, yeah, this is the gross this. implication. This idea that there are people clogging up the mental yeah. health system as if they're going in there for a laugh. It's bizarre. That same report found that people on the lowest incomes were least likely to access services and had to wait on average 17 days for a session. That's five days more than the people on the highest income quartile. And two in three people already had to pay a gap fee. So, again, remember, yeah. our medical system is not free. It is yeah. heavily subsidised mm. um, and still prevents financial barriers to people accessing the healthcare that they need and deserve. You know, it's, it's fucked up. Yeah. But yes, the young liberals have announced this the campaign saying like, you know, we need to save Medicare and Albo's attacking Medicare. And the shadow health minister, Anne Rustin, who is an evil demon, who is not good when she was social services minister, but it's sort of saying, this sucks. Why would you strip out this support before you have a plan as to how to, to meet the new need? And like, she's not fucking wrong, you know? She's not. I mean, obviously it's so cynical and they would pr- almost certainly have done the, the exact same thing if they were in government. But yes, yes. it is ironic. Anthony Albanese has cut Medicare funding for mental health support. Stop the cuts. Sign our petition now. Regards, young liberals. <laughs> Regards, young liberals. Yeah. <laughs> young liberals are such a an interesting bunch. Um, but I love that they're, yeah, using this to do a data harvesting petition on something that their party probably <laughs> would do anyway. Um, but it does just go to show that Labor is not a progressive party either. No, and of course, all the Labour hacks say things would be worse under you. That's the best. That's yeah. the best we've got in Australian politics. These guys are cutting mental health sessions. You guys would be worse if you were in power. Jesus. Yeah, 
I mean, I saw that Josh Burns, Labor MP, that's McNamara, right? As in yes. seat that almost fell to the Greens. Yes. Josh Burns did like a Twitter statement and was like, Labor, we should reconsider this. We should do better. So he's on, under such progressive pressure now that he has to do these. Mm. Although he did a he did a one of these when, in regards to um, the Labor government's approach to recognizing Jerusalem yes. and Israel, which is not an example of that. But yes, he now has to put out a, a press release saying that this is bad. Um, we all need to access mental health care. Taking away these sessions is bad. These sessions are the difference between people managing their anxiety properly. This is the, th- these sessions are the difference between people taking their own lives. Let's be real. Yeah. Like people's lives yeah. are being put at risk once you take away mental health support. So, yes, now Josh Burns has to say, I think this is a bad idea. I'm going to talk to the health minister and try to change it. But, of course, at the end of the day, he's not going to vote against the government when it comes to this or make any serious noise. He just sort yeah. of has to put out these these, may I, dare I say it, virtue signaling statements well, to make everyone know that he's a good guy. And this is the thing that really pisses me off and actually it kind of relates to a conversation that we're going to be having in a few episodes foreshadowing about, um, you know, conscience votes and MPs like crossing the floor and speaking out against their own party. And there's always this kind of like fawning admiration from voters and, and the public when they're like, wow, you were so brave to speak out against your party like this, thanks for standing up for us, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like... I really respect this a whole less when the implication is that this man is a member of a party who's, you know, who that that is not progressive, that has shit policies and most of those policies he supports and maybe some of them he doesn't. Mm. I I don't think that that's something to applaud. Like I applaud someone who is going to be part of a movement and a party that has policies that, are in line with my values and ideally and in line with theirs. Like I just, I don't get the whole patting on the back thing for MPs who speak out against their party when they're a member of that party. It's not, it just goes to show you're in the wrong fucking party and your party sucks. Party sucks. Excuse me, Robo, any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. So a lot of horrifying and juicy stuff has been coming out of the Royal Commission into the RoboDebt scandal, especially this week. So we thought we would chat about the latest, get folks up to speed. And so we have Tom Students, who is an anti-poverty activist and a member of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. You may know him as at Maximum Cuddles on Twitter, a.k.a. Tony Shaloub memes on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Tom has been providing extensive live coverage and analysis of the Royal Commission proceedings. I think so far you've spent about 200 hours watching this shit. So thanks for taking some time out to be with us. Hello, I'm so tired. <laughs> Thank you. Are you okay? What is it like watching this I shit every okay. fucking second? It seems yeah. like that's not good for your mental health. I assume it's a mixture of like in, in, in intense boredom and occasionally just being horrified at the brutal social system that we have in this country. Is it that kind of weird mix? Well, I don't know if boredom's the right. Like it's always interesting and engaging and and stuff. It's just whether that is actually relevant to what like what we do about it. Like so, there's a whole lot of admin law back and forth that I'm you know transcribing um, and also learning while I'm transcribing it. So you know it's <laughs> like fun. a I'm speed running a, a social security law degree and and practice <laughs> and all these things. Oh my god! Well, thank you for your service. Um, can we kick off just before we jump in? A super quick recap, as sort of yeah, briefly, big picture as we can to remind good folks what was this horrifying piece of shit that was the robo debt scandal that this royal commission is looking into? Yeah, well, briefly, um, 
the government made up a bunch of debts, like concocted them out of nothing. Um, they took people's yearly data from the ATO, their page data, which if you worked casually, you know, that's not an accurate reflection of of the money you get necessarily, particularly if you're on Centrelink. Anyway, mm. so they just sort of divided by 26 and said, you earned this much money in the year, which means your benefits were wrong, which means you owe us several thousand dollars um, without proving any of it, without even saying what they did to come up with that number on the letter, without including a phone number on the letter. This was horrible. Um, mm. This had a terrible impact on our society. An unknown number of Usually beautiful young gay people committed suicide. We don't know. And we won't know because of this. And the impacts, of course, as with everything in the welfare system, disproportionately on women, single mothers, and First Nations people. So, yes, over 2,000 people passed on after receiving a debt. That's the best number we have. That doesn't refer to the amount of people. Yeah, that's just a... That's a straight... Like I said, that's the best... Yeah. It's the best number we have. Um, Rachel Stewart... Uh, the former Green Senator um, got that out of the department. They didn't keep any closer track of what happened when people, it's just, uh, this person died. That happens in the social security system. This amount of people died after we started this scheme. That's the closest yeah. number we have. So right. that's one thing we're not going to learn. So um, that's <laughs> the next five years of my life um, unfurling in front of me. Um, yeah. And, you know, all of us know people personally. And that's one of the things that, People working in Centrelink offices aren't that rich, so they know people who mm. this was affecting. And so that's one of the things we heard um, this week is the frontline workers also noticing and reverse engineering what was going on because it was very simple. It was just yeah. this torrent of administrative um, <laughs> bullshit semantics and power being exerted through normative expectations of our politics and normal people getting crushed like... Yet another one of those in Australian history. Yeah. Normal people also stopped it. Yeah, yeah, good point. So 433,000 people, as I understand it, mm-hmm. um, got one of these notices uh, or the government got money from. In total, mm. they ended up yeah, getting claiming almost $2 billion in payments from those people. And then, as I understand, the government has paid out $1.2 billion as part of the out-of-court settlement um, that happened late 2020. Mm. So I'm at, that's maybe maybe just really quickly. I know that, yeah, at the time it was sort of like, yes, justice for robo-debt victims, we've got this settlement, but that is not quite the case. Like what does that settlement actually mean for people? It, it represents a refund on the debts that were raised against people. So it's no account of the damage that that caused. And we are talking about social devastation across low income communities and middle class communities, because what they did was go back and punish you for working while you're on Centrelink to try and get off Centrelink. That's the whole, like... Always. So that, that settlement, I mean, yes, so some people, they, they, they got a refund. I saw some people got their refund row of debt and it was like Not a everyone. couple of bucks or something like that. Not yeah. even everybody got them. So, yes, this kind of idea that the debt has been paid and we're all squared mm-hmm. away and we got yeah. this massive win for over debt victims is completely misleading, right? One thing I want to talk about specifically with that is we heard from one victim at the commission this week who she account- recounted that she had a van that she kitted out for work as a sole trader. Anyway, she had to sell that. So she spent several thousand dollars on kitting out this van for work, which, Mm. you know, 
in terms of a return on investment, uh, she's not going to see that straight away and she just had to sell it, get rid of it. So there's, you know, impacts financially that flow on from that that have no account made of them um, as a result of the robo-debt scheme. From what we know, a lot of the time people who are struggling the most won't challenge the debt because they don't have, Mm. like, the, the resources and are just kind of, like, they see something from the government saying, hey, you owe us money, and they're like, fuck, I'm really scared. Okay, I guess I have no option but to pay this. Um, sure. Yeah. One of the accounts was uh, from a community legal center, I believe, said, you know, the legal representation for people in this scheme. They were talking about they're in contact with someone, and this is the thing that happened a few times, and they'd be trying to help them through and come up with a legal strategy to respond to this. And then eventually that person would just be like, you know what? Too hard. I can't be like, yeah. I give up. I'll just pay it. Yeah. I just got to move on with my life. Mm. And that's the thing that I, from my experience advocating for people in Centrelink, occasionally mm-hmm. some people are like, you know, maybe it's a better option for me just to just to run away. Because that's how the system is designed. What am I going to say? No. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You have to get Centrelink, or you'll yeah. no. You'd obviously be much better off if you're the world's laziest weed dealer and you sell one ounce of weed a week. <laughs> like there you go. <laughs> you're you're no longer on. You're making more money than someone on Centrelink is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So there was like people would take out payday loans, for instance, in that situation. If English isn't their first language, if they're if they're caring for their family who are, you know, first generation migrants or whatever, they, you know, they're also managing their Centrelink affairs, so they would get a debt. Um, mm-hmm. And so then obviously scared of what's going on, just pay it back. No account of this is made. Like the, the class action didn't make an account of it. Class action... Um, Basically, they had to settle because the they were going to have some difficulty proving that the Social Security Department of the Australian government has a duty of care to the, to the people it's administering. <laughs> that will be hard to prove in court. Jesus. Yeah. The, the, well, you saw what happened with the, the Susan Lay case of those teen climate activists. Like, it was held that, right. that she did offer mm. a... Um, have a duty of care to to children not to ruin the planet or to ruin Australia's mm. part of it and then that was overturned on appeal because that doesn't that's not a thing no, like, yeah. so many of our rights that's what really really becoming apparent to me all of our rights are settled at common law we don't have anything yeah. enforceable if we did um Robinette's not going anywhere things would like, be very different mm, so yeah. you so you've been following this this commission what on a really kind of big picture level what are the biggest takeaways that have come out of it so far things that perhaps we have learned that we didn't know before um i was going to say uh, like our welfare system's deeply broken we knew that before we so i'll that. take that one out <laughs> um <laughs> it's a lot of it is like belatedly answers to questions that activists were asking at the time uh-huh. like we will finally have found that document and we're like ah we were right about that five years ago yeah so yeah. there's obviously a bit of a gap there between like the majority of people being like this is fucked up and shouldn't be happening and the law arriving like well after mm. the fact <laughs> and after lots of people have died community legal centers are, as we know very underfunded for welfare rights is you know even more so if you train to be a lawyer you it's unlikely that you are going to go there long term unless you're very interested in this in this um area um or you have a particular class background which again centrelink debt can complicate you becoming a lawyer to do that so there's all sorts of issues there um it's it's 
really that the rule of law does not exist for people on welfare. And again, that's not exactly new, but we're seeing exactly how that functions um, mm-hmm. and how we can stop it to some degree, definitely in the debt, the overpayment debt recovery parts of Zetalink, but this is an animating logic of the whole welfare system. So we're getting a lot of data that will be very useful in prosecuting a much broader case for change mm. in terms of high level stuff. The high level stuff was really obvious on the face of it. I don't know how to, the problem was that the media didn't give a shit <laughs> and like, and so they're all showing up now because they want to call Scott Morrison a silly goose, which I understand. That's fine. Right. <laughs> like that's clicks, that's money, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But they're all pretending they've been there f- from the start and they all don't know what they're talking about. It's very silly. It seems to have been a move, right? So when when the scandal was sort of first coming to light, and of course the government was in immediate defense mode or, you know, actively backing and wanting to expand this program and saying we will absolutely go after welfare cheats, people ripping off the system. It's mm-hmm. since been revealed that the whole system was illegal and unlawful, and now it's all about who knew what when, who gave the sign-off, who got the advice and approved mm-hmm. it, and I didn't know, and I trusted the advice of these people or whatever. I mean – I guess without getting too much in the weeds, yeah, is is there anything that have that has emerged in regards to when the social services department He's or Morrison as minister or anyone knew, yeah, any smoking guns when people actually knew that mm. what they were doing was against the law? Oh, like that's part of the issue with conveying this is that there are so many smoking guns, like pretty <laughs> much every like on a daily basis. Senior counsel assistant Gregory. We'll have a witness up there and he will produce a mystery document that no one has seen before. No one's reviewed before they're up there. And he will absolutely like hold a witness to the wall about it. And it's usually an email that's like, yep, or thanks. And it's like, this this is the gun. (laughs) It was you. It was pretty cool. But it's like there are hundreds of thousands of exhibits being being poured over by this commission. And many of them are of that nature. It's an email that's like, yep, forward that on. And it's like, well, this actually goes directly to why you shouldn't have a job. So, so and very, that is, it's difficult is to that, convey. Is that like people, you know, where there's advice saying, hey, this is probably illegal or like we really mm. can't do this or these yeah. would be the, the consequences of this and just a series of like bureaucrats and potentially politicians being like, mm. good to go. Yeah, it's like <laughs> the, the yep, that sounds good or yeah. mm, media is, an, is scary. Um, mm. That's all the senior Instead executives and bureaucrats. This. Yeah. And yeah. then meanwhile, you have the people a couple of rungs below them who maybe live in a suburb of Canberra that has buses. Um, <laughs> like, they're like, this is fucked up. Can you stop doing this? We took, we heard from um, Colleen Taylor, who was a frontline worker. She'd been in debt recovery for decades. And she wrote a letter directly to Secretary Catherine Campbell that's like, here is exactly what is wrong with your shit. Here is why it's fucked up. So, if you need someone to explain it to you, like, you fucking idiots, um, <laughs> I'm available. And they were like, how dare you? Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> like, they met we, her and they were like, thank you, for, thank you for putting, we'll take your concerns on board. And blah, 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 blah. We really admire your passion and energy here. <laughs> your call is important to us. Please hold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah, the Suddenly like, music you plays. Are killing, you're going to kill people. She, yeah. no, she noted in her letter, this is going to make people commit suicide because she's wow. been working in this area and she understands the care you have to display to um beneficiaries like the purpose of the welfare system is to be beneficial that is the sense in which it's derived from the constitution like or is the it pow- 
<laughs> that's what that's what we're learning here at a high level is that you have it's meant to be like where there's a toss of a coin administratively in a decision you're meant to come down on the side of being mm. beneficial to the people because that's the purpose of it in the constitution i can't stress this enough but then on top of that you have this entire like anti-welfare system which is like yeah. means testing, trying to cut people's benefits because they're in work so that you can save a bit of money there. Mm. Um, and then the debt recovery on top of that. Um, and it's all working completely contrary to the purpose of the welfare system in the constitution. And because it's doing that, because there's this dynamic that obviously is hugely inefficient and wastes a whole lot of money. Mm. The actual debt recovery stuff for overpayments is not really economical and neither for fraud. Like the point is to to prosecute someone to make an example of them. It's not actually a statistically significant mm -hmm. problem. It's just that it has politically significant attention on it in a way that submarine budgets do not, to briefly put it that way. <laughs> yeah, very true. I think this escalation is really, really key to get across. I mean, again, like, mm. so, so this debt recovery system was part of the welfare system in that if there was mm -hmm. a discrepancy between two incomes, then a human being would review the case and potentially yes. make contact with that welfare recipient. They have to. Right, they have to. They had to do that. There was something yeah. like, you know, they, they issued 20,000 debt notices the year before RoboDebt was introduced. Then once mm. the system gets going, they're issuing 20,000 notices a week. Like that's the kind of mm. step up of just how quickly yep. shit turns around. Do we know whose fucking bright idea that was? Like have we actually identified where that came from? Mm, well, the problem is that everyone who's testified appears to think it was someone else's job. Like right. that makes a lot of sense <laughs> on the face of it is that everyone – like there's – um. Finn Pratt, who was a, a secretary of, of DSS um, before Catherine Campbell, he said, this was a headache that was not my headache. A very grandiose way of, wow. of speaking. I can do impressions cool. of everyone who's gone up, by the way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we sort of, a lot of things are pointing to DHS Deputy Secretary Melissa Golightly, who passed away in December of last year, as we learned. Um, right. We didn't know that before the commission started because there's no reason that oh, would be publicized. Wow. Yeah. I found a funeral notice, no no interest in digging particularly further. Yeah. But yeah, you know, speculate what you want about. We've seen lots of witnesses where they've obviously, there's been a massive psychological and physiological toll on them. Um, there's people who are lying that they can't remember stuff, for example. And then there's people that you can tell that their brains have been absolutely melted mm. and they actually have a lot of trouble following the question. Yeah. And it's in large part, I would attribute it to the stress of being in this environment, having your superiors be like, everything is fine and we have to make Scott Morrison happy because he said welfare cop. Um, and you're like, no, mm. this is literally shitting on the rule of law in this country and everything we've done and, and the whole purpose of this department that I've been working at. People want Morrison to go down for this. I mean, obviously everyone hates Scott Morrison and like they want it. Yeah. I, I think a lot of journalists are using this as an opportunity to be like, fuck Scott Morrison because he was what that was the social services minister at the, at the time was proposed or yes. no. Yeah. Okay. He was. So how did but his. It was already being worked up by the time it got to him. Right. That's another okay. crucial point. Yeah. So I know, like, I, I wasn't following this super closely this week. I saw mm. something about a moment during the Royal Commission where 
he was basically, someone had a go at him and was like, are you listening at all? How was his, how did his, um, whatever, testifying, his giving evidence go? That is a matter open to interpretation, if I may. Uh, no, you may not, Mr Morrison. I think we're getting a bit bogged down in semantics. Fair to say the former PM tested the Commission's patience. You've effectively made submissions on the evidence, uh, Mr Morrison, rather than giving evidence. Now, if you go to the last page there... Mr Morrison, I'm not going to the last page. Mr Morrison, please, just listen to the question. Mr Morrison, the please, of, please, of the Mr Morrison. Of the, the last 10 minutes has been consumed because the simple answer, no, has strayed off in other areas available to the Commission. Mm, well, the first thing to note is that he'd already wasted a lot of time before he even got up there. I forget when it was, but I think last week, anyway, leading up to his appearance, he'd sent his lawyer to make, you know, some pretty convenient and uh, not successful arguments about... He had some stuff about... And this is a line that um, Maurice Payne also ran. It's like, oh, there's so many redactions. Oh, there might be something in the redactions. What? Yeah, so it's like the Commonwealth, their lawyers obviously want stuff redacted, including, you know, the names and email addresses of welfare recipients um, and yeah. departmental staff who aren't responsible for this at all. We don't yeah. want them to be in the public eye, um, if that could be avoided. And Morrison and his lawyer have been arguing basically like, oh, but if there's stuff in there, like, you know, right. don't pay might... attention to the stuff you can see. Just yeah. think maybe there's a possibility there's some there might other be a smoking gun. something else. Yeah. yeah. So the Commissioner Holmes was, um, who she's amazing, obviously, just a word on her. She actually was a founding member of the Women's Legal Service in Queensland. She's been a Supreme Court judge there. She knows what she's doing. She, her whole career has been leading up to, like, in the way that Tracy Grimshaw has this public moment of just ruining Scott Morrison's life. Um, so he, he was up there and he's like, uh, I want to answer, I want to agree, but you know, redactions. And she was just like, look, you can stop. Like th these things are redacted because they're not relevant. Like <laughs> we don't, we're not choosing these arbitrarily. Yeah. It's got nothing to do. You can stop pretending there's some hot information in there was what mm. he said. But <laughs> he, that. in general, he just interrupted them the whole day. And it's the first time where he's actually been in a position in the recent history where someone actually held him to a question and just didn't mm. let him. Mm. So hello, there are a lot of political journalists watching this. If you would like someone like him to not happen again in our political system, you just sort of have to be a bit firm and insist on the facts. There was one great part where he yeah. he was trying to argue his reading of social security law. Like he was saying okay. he'd read the act, which is great. Wow, I'd expect him. him to. Yeah. The secretary, mm. Catherine Campbell, who's been secretary of DHS and DSS, said she'd never read it. I've relied on this for several years in the community as an advocate. I read it. Yeah. Maybe that's why is because the secretary <laughs> of the whole fucking department isn't. Anyway, so Morrison was like, I reckon it's this on my plane. So the commissioner's like, get me the act. Okay, <laughs> let's do this. Oh my God. And she sat down there and she gave him a brief legal tutorial about, <laughs> no, it doesn't say that. And there, there was what the, the best part was when, he started answering a question by saying, if I may. And the commissioner was like, uh, no, you may not, Mr. Morrison. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. So that's all the Morrison meme I can bring you. Um, yeah. Otherwise, he thought he was doing the thing that politicians have been doing for decades. He waved around Labour press releases like, see, they've been data matching and going after fraud for years. Well, which he, was yeah. able, he was able to do that because their position on it is not, you know, 
so distinct in a way that everyone would get immediately and definitely mm -hmm. that journalists wouldn't, which is the main yeah. point of it. So he was right. he doesn't think there's a difference between using data to identify that there may be a thing that you then clarify with evidence right. and just being like divide by 26 here's your debt. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. he doesn't appreciate there's a difference there. Um okay. I think that's quite genuine. Because he's probably never received a fucking debt notice and doesn't know that like nope. what that actually <laughs> looks like and what They were that trying means to put someone. it to him and he was like, well it that Gregory put it to like isn't don't you appreciate the irony of being able to remember stuff from seven years ago he stole that from Twitter by the way everyone's been saying that mm. it, when welfare recipients that's what they were asked to do and he said yeah. well it's different because I could just go and get my bank statements it's like no no <laughs> it's not a hell yeah so okay Jesus so this goes Christ. on until um the the Royal Commission is going to continue until March next yes. year do you have thoughts on what will or won't come out of it and like whether the major parties will effectively just be let off the hook <laughs> well you you said something about uh journalists wanting morrison to go down mm. and i don't recall anyone going down from royal commission do you um like <laughs> that's uh. they don't they, they make recommendations um yeah. and the recommendations they will make will be a, a bunch of really bloody good ones i i have to imagine based on the quality of legal professional involved um, around better administration, better processes in the APS. Some APS people will probably get referred to their commission for code of conduct stuff, which I think would be good because the CPSU told us about a member who had that happen to them for handing out flyers saying that RoboDebt was wrong. So I think probably the people who did the misconduct that led to it probably more deserving of that. But just, you know, firing public servants obviously isn't going to fix it. Yeah. So mm. it's a good royal commission and, like, we need that. Royal commissions are back, baby. Like, this is perfect. We've had all these bullshit politically motivated ones. There is no partisan element to any of this. It is fact-finding exercise. It's understanding mm. what's happening. To the extent where Morrison tried some partisan stuff the other day and he was, like, told to shut the fuck up, which is great. By the way, that bill is now $50 billion, not twelve. When it comes to the NDI. Mr Morrison, can I just get you to stick to answering the question a bit more? I do understand that you come from a background where rhetoric's important, but uh, it is necessary to listen to the question and just answer it. So I haven't seen a lot out of Bill Shorten that's been meaningful engagement with it because what's there for him, particularly, <laughs> if that's the, that's the idea. Um, yeah, that's So a there's a broader... Like, it it will fall to civil society again. Yes, I cannot wait. Like I said, find out how many people actually died um, and to begin a campaign of, like, fundamental reform of how we think about recovering welfare debt yeah. and just the social security system in general, but welfare debt particularly. Why are you chasing people over a couple thousand bucks over an honest mistake? Get yeah. some money out of Chevron. Uh. They gave you $30 in tax last year. <laughs> Yes. yes. What the f well, okay. Because to me, this is this is the thing, right? It's like it's a it's a royal commission. It's like it's great that we are, you know. I, I think honestly, as a nation, we probably need to deal with this as a kind of truth telling exercise, yeah. um, and to acknowledge the fucking harm that this caused. But yeah. fundamentally. Uh, these things are not really designed to change the entire frame within which we view social security no. and welfare payments. And I think that all of the, you know, there may be some great recommendations. The government might act on some of them. 
But until we change the idea that like welfare is this burden and the idea Mm -hmm. that people are inherently, that there are all these people out there looking to rot the system when Mm -hmm. that is just so fucking rare. And even if it is, it pales in comparison to, yeah, yeah, the kind of rotting that's going on at at a corporate tax level, for for example. And so Mm -hmm. it's just... Yeah, like I, even I think in fundamentally. Parliament. Even in, in Stuart Parliament, Roberts' yeah. financial records personally himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like the foundation on which the robo-debt system is is built, that is I think what we still need to be challenging. And I think like, mm. yeah, I, I you know, to bring, bring in obviously our, our biased, our partisan kind of thing that we have on this podcast, we like the Greens, no shit. But it's true that like, yeah, the major What's parties have slightly. <laughs> we'll, Can you tell we'll, me what door knocking is? We'll tell is? you later. We'll tell you later. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah, the major parties have slightly different policies on debt recovery, but they fundamentally have that view on, on social security that like yep. welfare is not good. Everyone should actually be having a job and like we should be aiming to get everyone off social security and they're probably leaving. If they're on it, um, yeah. and yeah, the Greens are really the only ones challenging that with stuff like yeah, guaranteed minimum income. So, but can I vote for them to form a majority government? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is it? Year twenty thirty six. We've got however many years <laughs> left, sixteen or something. <laughs> something, something too horny to come into work today. Anyway, exactly. <laughs> but you, you know better than us, Tom. But like, I, I mean, will this royal commission? produce recommendations that would be anything along those those lines. I can imagine a Royal Commission handing out recommendations that we should have a more humane version of debt recovery and mm. we should have something mm. that abides by the law and here's where people went wrong and this person knew this then. But, yeah, is a Royal Commission really going to hand down a recommendation of a complete reconsideration <laughs> of, of the way we think about welfare and the way the welfare system works? Possibly not within their terms of reference. Mm. Yeah. To contextualise Royal Commissions within the Westminster system, pretty much every accountability measure in there it's designed to be like to rouse the populace into carrying people out of office on a in a righteous wave of democratic expression <laughs> right and you know people don't give a shit about politics in australia and they're right to <laughs> more yeah. broadly so that doesn't really work the reason i'm doing this is that it's going to inform the next 5 years of campaigning so we need to have a very like molecular view of like what we do next it's just properly informed free of the the mainstream media narratives of like ah it was just middle class people not giving a shit it's like what are you talking about middle class people were targeted and were and were an integral like it was always a cross-class campaign from the the beginning of the grassroots response with the not my debt campaign um and so that's all that like one of the things i've done is 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 be talking to all of them be like what do you want you brought this shit down like you're mm-hmm. not gonna get an audience like they've all they've all moved on in their lives they're all single mums and stuff like so one of the issues is that it's all all political editor dudes showing up now and being like <laughs> and you know dudes like me as well like this is the best we could do is like how do we remake this to be community focused and actually serving the needs of the community and not just like numbers on balance sheet like one of the the key things that has loomed over this whole commission is that the department has a statutory requirement to recover debts and this dominates mm-hmm. everyone's mind within the administration of the welfare system is that you have to do this. There is no way you can't do this. And then on top of that is the normative political expectation. Um, So if you take the statutory, I'm not saying 
This is the most politically scary thing to say. Don't recover welfare debts. I'm not saying that even, right? Why not? I'm just saying, because <laughs> I love bludging. <laughs> ah! So, um, <laughs> but you could reframe that and you could uh, sublimate it to the constitutional purpose of it being beneficial. It's actually mm. kind of meant to be already. But, you know, mm. you can reform that to not have, like people working in these departments under pressure to just default to that under stress. We have to do this and then backfill any bullshit administrative, highly personal usually explanation that helps them get through the day and helps them sleep at night without wondering why their whole department is falling apart and in crisis. Yeah. It wasn't just robo-debt that went through at this time. There were other budget measures. There was the targeted compliance framework, which is, you know, automated cutting off of payments if you don't get to your appointment, mm. which is oh. something that means that my payment is cut off because I've been doing this, right? Like, yeah, this is, yeah, Anyway, right. that's all. And the Workforce Australia stuff is then based on that and Labor voted that through. So yeah. it's like we need to actually take the lessons from RoboDebt and use them to recalibrate the current programs. Yes. And then also to argue for more structural change, yeah. even above the level of the welfare system, like mm. it strengthens the argument for for proper human rights protections, strengthens the argument for proper data protections, everything. I think it's a wonderful campaign. And that's why I'm screaming about it all day. I need people to pay attention to this. You will yeah. learn who our welfare system works for. Yes. You will learn who our system of law and our rule of law works for. Mm. Like Morrison was like, oh, I'll just pay a lawyer to waste time so I have to answer less questions. Yeah, like, we're actually here to find out what happened because of you. <laughs> and he's yeah. up there like, ah, oh, it's just someone have told me this. Well, I wouldn't even be here. It's like, well, <sighs> it seems pretty likely that whoever had their finger on the switch was would be likely to end up in your position if yeah. you, if everyone just thought this was a normal thing to do. Yeah, um, exactly. So I think that's the the broadest sort of overview I can I can give. No, that's right. It's it's good to think of it not of as a as a aberration but the sort of inevitable mm. consequence of, of once you set up usual. a social system yes. that way yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. and you're you're it's a really good point that you're making about the fact that this has been fought for and won by ordinary people civil society grassroots mm. action like i think it's definitely worth acknowledging people like asha wolf who yeah. you know i remember started the hashtag not my debt campaign on on twitter that i think really really uh, brought this into the public consciousness in in a big way, and you know, countless other people who've who fought for this, and it continues to be ordinary people. And you are, yeah, you're a dude that is now tweeting about this. You have a uh, like a crowdfunder, as I understand it, to allow you to continue doing this work. Which we would definitely, as yeah, call to action. We do a call to action each week for this week. If our listeners want to support Tom's reporting, we'll put the link in the show notes. The community are really helping me and that's really wonderful. And that also is a responsibility for me to go places where, you know, the blue ticks cannot per se, mm-hmm. because an editor's like, we don't want to get sued. I'm saying that I'm about to get a blue tick <laughs> because I'm doing a 5,000 word thread every day and I need the edit button. Do you understand how upsetting Ooh. that is to me? I need the edit mm. button. <laughs> anyway. Well, you know. Thanks, Elon. Awesome. People should check out uh, Tubbs GoFundMe. We'll put a link in the show notes. We'll also put a link in the show notes to 
uh, articles featuring our producer, Michael the Griff Griffin, who was one of those ordinary people who went to the media who was issued a robo-debt notice and said, this is bullshit, and did the maths and did an amazing job early on back in the day before it was cool. Hell yeah. Uh, laying out mm. just how fucked up robo-debt is. So um, we'll put show notes in the uh, links in the show notes for that too. But thanks for talking to us, Tom, and thanks for doing the great work you're doing, man. Cheers. Love you. Love Thank you so much. <laughs> Michael Griffin received a debt notice for more than $3,000 from Centrelink just before Christmas and immediately knew something wasn't right. And that was Mr. Giffen or Griffin, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yes. Um, so... Um, Michael only worked for nine months of the year. For the other three, he claimed the New Start allowance. The new debt recovery system looked at his wage and then divided it per fortnight for the whole year, making it look like he earned $1,000 every fortnight while still claiming Centrelink. As for Michael Griffin, he's just hoping he can clear his name. Earlier this week, we spoke to Michael Griffin, who'd been told he had to pay back over $3,000. He's now been told he only has to pay back $54. Michael Griffin joins me now live from Brisbane. Michael, great to chat to you again. Between uh, Tuesday, I think, when we talked, and today, your debt has reduced significantly. What happened? I did ask him, you know, had my case been expedited because I've been kicking up a stink in the media? Um, He said uh, that it hadn't, but... I will say Nicole Rogerson's son has been dealt with. Um, some other people I know who'd been out talking about it anonymously have been dealt with. So it does appear that um, complaining to the media is a very good way to get your complaint dealt with. We need to pause the system right now. We need to pause this until it's resolved. The Prime Minister needs to step in and pause it. That's our show, everyone. Thank you for listening. We love you. We love you. And you can uh, follow us on social media. Give the gift of serious danger this Christmas, I say. Oh, um, yeah. Social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Uh, go to seriousdangerpod.com for all the details. Email us anytime, hello at seriousdangerpod.com. And actually, yes, if people could give like a five-star review, if you haven't yet, on your podcast app, uh, podcast app of choice, that would really help boost uh, awareness and spread the wonderful word of uh, Serious Danger and how awesome yes. awesome we are and such. I will say as well, as we're heading into the silly season, um, we won't necessarily have regular programming over the next few weeks. We'll kind of have a few episodes that we have recorded ahead of time, but we'll still be regularly releasing episodes onto the main feed and potentially also onto the Patreon. But yeah, if we're not responding to current events, it's because we are resting and yes. we hope you are too. And if you're not, thanks for everything you do. We love you. We'll have F's coming out on Christmas Day and on New Year's oh, Day, yeah, for God's sakes. So gather the family round, around the Christmas tree <laughs> and force them to listen. Bye, everyone. Bye. This is a serious danger, Australia.